Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina with my co-host Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Cordo from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, Courtney Carruthers from the state of Illinois, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of New Jersey. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege to be able to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. You will find this show on page one. There are 90 pages on that website, over 1,800 live shows uh, on the air at this hour, and you will consistently find this radio show on pages one through four of that website. What a blessing. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio at 910-491-6400. Zero five. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance in locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask you to bow with me in a word of prayer that we may thank God for this opportunity. Our most kind, gracious, loving Heavenly Father, the Father, Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we are prepared now to present a portion of your holy and divine word. Father, please you'll be my co-host, Steve Cordo, as he breaks into our listeners the bread of life, and also with Steve as he answers our shouted-out question uh, that are on the hearts of so many 
And we just pray that you'll continue to bless him and his family, that he may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you will be with our listeners who are tuning in to this radio broadcast via Blog Talk Radio, as well as through social media. We just pray that they may listen well, that they may consider their eternal stance before you, and that their hearts may be pricked, that they will ask the, will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending the only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, to die such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. For without such a sacrifice, we will not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak, and we often fall short of thy will. For I pray you will continue to bless us and keep us and love us all the days of our lives, and that we have been faithful unto death. Father, we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, in the first segment of the broadcast, I had scheduled Dr. Frank Washington he was scheduled to be on the show. He's in Grenada, uh, South America at this hour, at this time, and he was going to try to broadcast from Grenada, but we just uh, ran into some technical difficulty, so he's not able to do that. So I'm going to have to substitute him with my co-host, Steve Cordell. So Steve Cordell will be doing the show this evening. He will be doing the lesson, and he will also be doing our shouted-out question. We certainly appreciate Steve for his willingness to serve in that capacity. So open up your Bibles and open your minds, and let's have a great show. After the break, that's what you hear be that of my co-host, Steve Cordo. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Steve Cordo. And good evening, everyone. Thank you again, Stevie, for having me on the program. And thank you and welcome to our listening audience on the uh, Gospel Light Radio program and on the Blog Talk platform or wherever you happen to be listening from. I'm also simulcasting this on my YouTube channel because of a technical glitch that happened this Sunday when I presented this lesson to the congregation. So if you are watching on YouTube, uh, hit that subscribe bar, and then when the notification bell pops up, click on it. You'll be notified anytime I add content to the channel. Comment on these videos, like these videos, share these videos. And this evening we're going to be looking at a lesson that's part of a series that I'm presenting on Sundays that I call All Roads Lead to Heaven and Other Popular Fiction. And this is a lesson series that I did about four or five years ago, and I've rebooted it with some new lessons uh, on some of the topics covering uh, the topics from different uh, aspects and different uh, scriptures. Uh, For instance, one of the lessons is looking at Apollos and the 12 disciples of John that uh, Paul came across in Acts chapter 19, that lesson, I'm sincere, so I must be right, subtitled, Unto What Then Were You Baptized? And we were looking, and that lesson will look at why it is that sincerity isn't enough. You can be as sincere as you want, but you can still be wrong and not right with the Lord. What about our conscience? Another lesson covers the conscience, and is it always a safe guide? And We'll look at how the scriptures look at that and how the conscience can be seared and not necessarily a safe guide. But for this installment, we're going to look at the idea of undenominational Christianity. What do we mean by that? Well, simply put, it's Christianity just as the Bible intended it to be. I've had discussions with people over the years, and they'll ask me, well, wait a minute, aren't all churches denominations? And my answer to that is no. That is never what what uh, the Lord had intended. Now, Samuel Clemens, better known under his pen name of Mark Twain, is quoted in Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace? Twain is quoted as saying that he once put a dog and a cat in a cage together as an experiment, just to see if they could get along, and they did. So he upped it and put a bird, a pig, and a goat into a cage. And after some adjustments, they got along just fine. Then he put a Baptist, a Presbyterian, and a Catholic in a cage. Soon there wasn't a single living thing left. And that seems to describe how our differences over religion are, doesn't it? Not only that, but our political differences. Uh, Our religious and our political differences are really at the core of who we are. And many times we take a disagreement or a question or anything like that as personal, that it's really Uh, an attack on us. But see, Jesus wanted unity. 
He wanted unity and not division among his followers. But unfortunately, in the religious world, it seems very little of that exists. Now, this man, his name is Jay Gordon Melton. He's a religious scholar and spent most of his career looking at different religions and religious groups across North America. And he came up with some that are different, shall we say? Some of them, I would say, are actually bizarre. He came across one, for instance, called the Church of the Kennedy Worshippers. They believe they could pray to the assassinated president, John F. Kennedy, uh, for spiritual and whatever advice they needed. Then there's the Church of the Mystery of the Universal Wisdom. Well, they seek guidance from flying saucers. And then the Church of Heaven on Earth. They do not believe there is a heaven out there somewhere beyond the azure blue. They believe that they have found utopia right here. Now, I put it into my GPS. I can't find utopia anywhere on Earth. So if anyone out there has uh, has a clue where it might be, uh, let me know. I'd like to I'd like to visit sometime. And among the, the uh, other things he found were about 1,517 different denominations uh, in the United States. And this is really kind of a moving target. Uh, but he found that 88 call themselves Baptists, 42 call themselves Methodists, and then 22 of these different groups are uh, Presbyterian. And even among our own fellowship and the Churches of Christ, there's at least 10 different doctrinal differences among our fellowship. Now, I'm emphasizing doctrinal because when you look at directories like the Churches of Christ in the United States, the I think it comes out every three years that 21st Century Christian publishes, there's other things in there they show as uh, congregational character, I think is what they called it. Uh, for instance, I have a friend who's retired military, and he was a medic in the Army, and he likes to work with military missions and sometimes medical. Uh, those aren't things that divide us. Those are more what I call the niche uh, aspects, the things that a person might be interested in, and so he's going to look for a congregation that has that. If you are, let's say, bilingual, you speak English and Spanish or English and uh, Chinese or German or something, and you want to find a congregation that works uh, with those groups, with people who speak those languages, and you can find a niche uh, to help you uh, out there. But some of the doctrinal ones, these are the ones that could be deal breakers for people, or for instance, how many cups do we use when we have communion? Uh, there are some one-cupper, well, pre-COVID, there were some one-cuppers out there, and one of them was about a 200-member church that uh, even sponsors a television program, and I didn't know they were one-cuppers until uh, I saw an interview with their preacher uh, in the Christian Chronicle. Uh, how do we use church funds? Uh, can we take money out of the treasury and, and give it to a ch children's home or a retirement home or something like that? Uh, believe it or not, there's churches that don't believe in paid preachers, uh, the mutual edification uh, brethren. And then uh, the big one right now that seems to be causing a lot of problems is instrumental music and worship styles. That is where churches are going to uh, some sort of a contemporary service uh, and then having a traditional service for the ones who uh, just want a cappella and the more, well, the more traditional, more what, what most of us are probably used to. Uh, and that's causing a big uh, division in a lot of churches. But is that really what Jesus wanted? Did he really want churches to be splitting and to have hundreds or thousands, however many they are, uh, denominations, each one teaching something different? Well, in Matthew chapter 16, uh, if you have, want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 and then uh, keep a marker at John chapter 17, we're going to jump over there and then we'll also be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 
Matthew chapter 16, Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter, answering, said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I will also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give to you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Now let's jump over to, to uh, John chapter 17 for just a minute. This is Jesus' prayer in the garden. He's prayed for the apostles, the disciples, and now he's actually shifting a little bit. He's praying for, well, for us, essentially. He's praying for those who are going to uh, hear about him through the work of the disciples. And he says, uh, verse 20, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, and I have given them, that they may be one just as you and I are one. And I in them, and you in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that you sent me, and have loved them as you have loved me. Now notice in, John, in Matthew chapter 16, he said, Upon this rock, meaning Peter's confession, I will build my church. Okay, it's his his my, Jesus is my. Okay, he didn't build uh, uh, John the Baptist church. He didn't build uh, my church. He didn't build your church. This is Jesus' church we're talking about. And most Christians, I think, would agree that the universal church is the Christians all over the world. And that's really what Catholic means. The, the, the word Catholic comes from the Greek word for universal. They got Roman ta attached to it because they landed in Rome, and that's where they headquartered themselves, and that might be a discussion for another time. But the local church is made up of Christians in a given geographic area. And many see no harm today in presenting uh, an altered picture where the church is a bunch of different uh, groups calling themselves by different names and teaching something different, whether they be calling themselves Christians, Baptists, Catholics, whatever. But I would suggest to you that that's not what God intended. Now, when I was in college, there was a, a group on campus. They called themselves United Campus Ministry. For a while, they had services on campus, and then they quit having services. And their uh, position was to go into town and worship at the church of your choice, the denomination of your choice is how they put it. And that sounds great. I mean, this is America. We're a capitalist economy. We have choice. Uh, I've got all kinds of restaurants I can go out to eat. I got all kinds of places I can buy my clothes. We're all about choice. So it's great to have uh, choice in churches, right? Well, as good as that might sound, I think that that is wrong and that is not biblical. But before we go too far into this, let's look and first divine, define our terms. What do we mean by a denomination? Well, uh, the American Heritage Dictionary says that a denomination is a large group of religious congregations united together under a common faith and name, organized under a single administrative legal hierarchy. 
It is a, a denomination is a religious organization uniting in a single legal and administrative body a number of local congregations. And that can be few, a few congregations, it can be thousands. And the governing body for this uh, denomination might be a synod, a presbytery, a convention, it could be another church, it could be an individual. And then simply put, a denomination is a group of congregations joined together under some governing body. Uh, probably the best example is the Catholic Church. It is a group of congregations under a, a governing body, the Vatican, which is why churches of Christ really don't fit the definition of a denomination. We don't have a, a governing body anywhere. Each congregation is autonomous, handles its own affairs. Uh, where I preach, uh, our elders don't have any authority to go out there to North Carolina to Stevie's congregation or anybody else's congregation and tell them how to handle their affairs. It's uh, they're, they're, they make their own decisions, and just like we make make our own. And you've got other denominations out in England. The Archbishop of Canterbury oversees the Church of England. It's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, because they don't recognize divorce, and the new king is divorced. But that's their issue to deal with. In the rest of the world, it is the Anglican Church, and here in America, it is the Episcopal Church. And then you have the, the Church of Scotland, which in the rest of the world is the Presbyterian Church. And they've all got the, the Presbyterian Church has got a couple of different synods here in America that uh, governs each of the congregations that affiliate with them. And it doesn't and, and, and you can't go by a church name necessarily to tell if they are denominational or not. Um, the Westboro Baptist Church out in Topeka, Kansas calls themselves Baptist. Their theology is basically Baptist, but I don't know of any Baptist uh, uh, conference or anything that affiliates with them or, or, or um, claims them. Uh, and then you've got other assorted community churches, which may or may not be denominational. It would just depend on whether they're uh, linked up to any kind of organization. Now, denominationalism. When you see ism attached to something, it usually indicates uh, a philosophy of some kind, like communism is a economic philosophy, that sort of thing. But denominationalism is a tendency to separate into religious denominations. It is the uh, advocacy of separation into religious denominations. Remember the campus group I told you about that told people just go into town and worship at the denomination of your choice. They're advocating the denominations. They're advocating the, the split. It's uh, strict adherence to a denomination or separatism. And then it is the uh, devotion to denominational principles or interests, and denominationalism is a narrow, uh, a narrow emphasizing of denominational differences or sectarianism. Now, to a lot of people, when they say that I'm Catholic or I'm Baptist or whatever, I always like to ask them, well, when's the last time you went to church? Well, I don't know, let's see, I'm 40 now, 50, and I went when I was 12. And so it's been a while, but you still call yourself Baptist or Catholic or whatever, and relatives I've had who were of a denomination kind of hid behind it to just tell the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses to get lost when they came around knocking on the door. So let's look at this idea, undenominational Christianity. And you may be wondering, well, is denominationalism really that bad? And you may be saying, well, wait a minute there, uh, Steve, uh, aren't there faithful Christians in all denominations? After all, all churches are denominations, right? Well, my answer to the first question is yes, denominationalism is that bad. My answer to the second question, and listen to the question carefully, are there faithful Christians in all denominations? My answer to that is no. And here's why I believe denominationalism is wrong. 
And uh, by the way, this kind of sermon is usually the kind that gets the preacher in trouble because it is not popular to preach against denominations. Uh, I've got friends that are in denominations is a usual retort. I've got relatives that are in XYZ or ABC church, uh, and they're really good people. Okay, great. I can see the point. There are great, good people in all churches. And I've got relatives myself that preach uh, in denominational churches. One of them is a cousin preaching for a large denominational church in a fairly good-sized city. But my relations to people in the denominations has no bearing on what the Bible says. Uh, a lot of people will say, because I have friends in denominations and they're good people, you can't tell me that they're wrong. Well, we're going to see what the Bible says. And if there's something you think here that is wrong, that I'm off base, that's fine. I don't mind it. But you've got to show me from Scripture where I'm wrong. And you've got to show me where uh, what I say here and how I apply the Scriptures is wrong. And if it is, I'll make a retraction. Same deal that I offered to my congregation uh, this last Sunday. So let's look at this. Let's get into this. Denominationalism, I believe, is condemned in Scripture. And I believe it is unscriptural. Okay, what do I mean by unscriptural? Well, I don't believe there's any scriptural basis or support for the idea of different churches, each one teaching something different. Uh, there is not a denomination that can go to the New Testament and say, well, here, here's where my denomination is, right here in book, chapter, and verse. There is no basis for local churches being divided among their, their various different names, and there's no basis for the universal church being divided among different names with each one teaching something different. There is no basis in the Bible for local churches to have uh, names that aren't found in Scripture. That's another little issue there, but I'll come back to that here in a minute. Look at the church Jesus established. It's a, local congregations were independent and they were self-governing. If you look at Acts chapter 20, when Paul is having his final meeting with the Ephesian elders, he tells them to take heed and to guard the flock over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So he has a group of men here. They've got one congregation in Ephesus, uh, one group of Christians that they're responsible for. He did not give them any authority or any responsibility. Hey, now keep an eye on the church in Athens. Uh, you might want to watch those guys in Jerusalem and Rome. Yeah, you know, you, you need to be some responsible there. Their responsibility is right there with their congregation. Uh, just like uh, I live in Illinois, uh, an Indiana state trooper has no authority here. Even though I'm pretty close to the state line, uh, his jurisdiction ends at the state line. The jurisdiction for the elders here where I preach ends with our congregation. They don't have any authority to go over to another community and tell a church there who to have as their preacher, what Bible translation to use, uh, here's what you're going to believe about these doctrinal positions. They don't have any of that authority. That is up to the local church. The only authority above the local church is Christ and his apostles. Now, we don't have apostles anymore. I know there's religious groups running around out there with people, men and women, claiming to be apostles. Uh, they're wrong. They are not apostles. The apostles all died off uh, with uh, John uh, the apostle, uh, was, as far as we know, the last apostle to live, the last one to die. I don't know where Barnabas or some of these others uh, ended up, but Barnabas, yes, he was called an apostle in the book of Acts, but there aren't any today. Christ is our only authority, and through the Bible, that's how we get our authority. Denominations are also anti-scriptural. Go back to our text in John chapter 20, or chapter 17. I think between uh, verses 20 and 23, if I counted correctly, there's seven times that Jesus says, 
something to the effect of they may be one, as you and I are one. That's what he wants. He wants unity among uh, his people, among his followers. He wants us to be one and to be united. And that's a theme that keeps going through the 17th chapter of John, is this idea of unity in verse 23, that they may be made perfect in one and let the world know that you sent me. Now, just think, that's one of the biggest indictments against Christianity is all the different divisions, all the different denominations, each one teaching something different. So as followers of Christ, we need to unite on what the scriptures teach us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, denominationalism is in fact condemned by the Apostle Paul. I think uh, for the first four chapters of, of uh, 1 Corinthians, he's dealing with division. And I believe these verses here in chapter 1 are the final nail in the coffin to the idea of worship at the church of your uh, choice. It, because denominationalism is just division and it makes, it makes the churches subject to the world standards. Look at how churches are dividing. They're dividing not just, I mentioned instrumental music, but you got churches that are splitting over whether or not same-sex marriage is something we should have, and transgenderism and all this. What are some of these churches doing? The United Methodist Church was supposed to split into two denominations in 2020. It got put off because of COVID. I don't know what the status of it is right now, but it was largely over these social issues. And you got a segment of the church that's saying, we need to be more like the world. We need to change our views and accept people who have these lifestyles. Big mistake. We don't change to accommodate the world. The world needs to change to accommodate Scripture. Now let's have a look at what Paul says here. 1 Corinthians 10, or chapter 1, verse 10. I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren... Now this, uh, I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, that's another name for Peter, I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized uh, in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Now, for many years, this passage, I read it, and it just kind of went over my head. Now, our denominational friends will use this passage to say, well, Paul is downplaying baptism. That you, They'll use this to prove baptism is not essential for salvation, and then you look at what Paul said. Okay, context. Remember, the first four chapters are dealing with division. Paul's point here really has nothing to do with baptism. What he's saying is, you know, yeah, I baptized some Crispus and Gaius and the household of Stephanus, but beyond that, you know, I honestly don't remember if I baptized anybody else. Because what was going on in Corinth was you had some people saying, well, you know, I'm really something. I was baptized by Paul. Oh, yeah? Well, I was baptized by Peter. <laughs> well, I'm of Christ. And they were splitting and following people and personalities. And Paul is saying, no, be united. It doesn't matter who baptized you. What matters is you are a baptized believer. Now, today, we might not word it quite this way. There's, there's, there's a 21st century version of this 
that I think is how it could be worded today if Paul were writing it. It would go something like this. I say this that each of you says, I am a Catholic. I am Baptist. I am Presbyterian. I am Church of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Luther crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Wesley? You know, and by the way, I cringe when I hear people say I'm Church of Christ. No, you're a Christian. You may have Church of Christ on the sign out front, but you're actually a Christian. And that's what we should use and encourage people to get back to just being Christians. But now let's put these two side by side. And it's on my YouTube channel if, uh, if you want to go there and see these side by side. Where then they said things like, I am of uh, Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas. But today we say, I am Catholic, I am Baptist, I am Presbyterian. Now, tell me honestly, is there a difference in the philosophy or the thought behind or the attitude behind either one of these? I don't see a difference. I see sectarianism in both cases, something that Paul is condemning. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we see denominational opposes the, the efforts of Christ on the cross. He died to break down the walls of division between us and to reconcile all human beings to God in one body, not different bodies. Denominationalism then, therefore, is harmful to the cause of Christ. Now, if you're watching this, I have a, screen, a slide on the screen with a frayed rope. The rope says one body, but it's frayed into Mormon, Baptist, Catholic, and various denominations. And that's what we're doing when we split up into different groups. We are fraying the rope. Splintering is really what we're doing, if you want to look at it like a block of wood. Splinter. We're not just split. We are, are splintered. Francis Schaeffer was an evangelical theologian and philosopher, and he once said Jesus knew that unity among his disciples would be the final apologetic or evidence of Christianity being true. Now, he was a Presbyterian, uh, so he was contributing a little bit to it by being in denominations uh, himself, but his statement is is right on the money. That is probably the number one criticism of Christians is how we don't get along with each other. We're fighting and feuding among the different groups, each one teaching something different. We need to be unified on what the Bible says. I've been doing some reading of some uh, liberal uh, people who call themselves Christians, and they like to point to the Council of Trent, Nicaea, this council, that council. I don't care what the councils say. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what the Word of God says, and if there's something that uh, uh, you think is wrong about what I teach or preach, that's okay. I don't mind that, but you got to show me from Scripture where I'm wrong, not by what the Council of Trent or whatever council said. John chapter 17, in view of Jesus' words, we should not be surprised when unbelievers are slow to accept the gospel based on all of our divisions. He wants, He said that they may be one as you and I are one. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Truth is singular. And what does that mean? Any of my grammarians out there, what does that mean? Singular means what? There's one. Count them. One, one truth. One uh, faith, Ephesians chapter 4 tells us. So unity in Christ without denominations is a reflection of what Christ wants. He came to bring reconciliation between man and God and uh, to remove barriers among humans and to reconcile Jews, Gentiles, uh, white, black, uh, men, women, whatever uh, uh, nationality, ethnicity. He wants us all to be one, to be unified. And it is no accident that he prayed for unity. Now, does unity mean we have to be exactly alike, like uh, carbon copy cookie cutters uh, uh, people? No. There are some things we can disagree on. 
you know, churches that, uh, you know, communion before the sermon or after the sermon. Yeah, that's a minor thing. Do do whatever you want. There may be some other things. Uh, you know, should we, uh, should churches own church buildings? Yeah, there's pros and cons to it, but that's a matter of opinion. Some churches don't own property, and that's fine. And But there are things like that that we cannot make issues of fellowship. John 17 teaches us that we need to be followers of Christ, not human leaders. I was in a Facebook exchange with someone once, and they made reference to my followers. And I replied back, I better not have any followers. You better not be following me. I'm a human. I'm subject to being wrong at any given time. You just ask my wife about that one. But elders, deacons, preachers, we can all help you and point you in the right direction, help you study the scriptures. But you got to remember, we are not uh, sinless. We are not perfect. And yes, preachers, elders, and deacons do fall away. I know uh, preachers, elders, and deacons who've left their wives. They've made wrecks of their families. Some have been in prison. Uh, there are some out there that um, have done some pretty bad things. That's, that's unfortunately the state of, of humanity. We're all sinners and have fallen short of the glory of God. We do need to avoid factions and divisions. We need to avoid denominations. We need to be unified. You are followers of Jesus. You are not followers of me or any other human being. Key concepts to remember in essentials, unity. How do I become a Christian? That's an essential. The plan of salvation is laid out, and if you ask me what, it, what to do to become a Christian, I'm going to give you a different answer than your Baptist or your Presbyterian or your uh, local Pentecostal preacher. In non-essentials, we give liberty. There are some things we can agree to disagree on, but in all things, we have to uh, show love. And then Christian unity without denominations reflects what Christ came to do. This is what he wants. And I'm not the only one who opposes denominations. In fact, if you go and look back at history, you'll see people like Martin Luther. People look at him as the founder of the Lutheran Church. Not so fast. He is quoted to have said, I ask that men make no reference to my name and call themselves not Lutherans, but Christians. What is Luther? My doctrine? I am sure is not mine, nor have I been crucified for anyone. St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 3 would not allow Christians to call themselves Pauline or uh, Petrine, but Christians. How then should I, poor, foul carcass that I am, come to have men give to the children of Christ a name derived from my worthless name? No, no, my dear friends, let us abolish all party names and call ourselves Christians, after him whose doctrine we have. And that's from uh, Hugh Thompson Carr, uh, Comprehensive of Luther's Theology, Philadelphia, uh, 1943, page 135. And then Charles Spurgeon, who was a Baptist, uh, preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London for many years. Uh, he said, I look forward with pleasure to the day when there will be not a Baptist living. I hope that the Baptist name will soon perish, but let Christ's name last forever. And that's from his Memorial Library, Volume 1, page 168. And then John Wesley, whose followers have called themselves Methodist, Wesleyan, and I don't know, there might be other names. He said, would to God that all party names and unscriptural phrases and forms which have divided the Christian world were forgot, and that the very name Methodist might never be mentioned more, but be buried in eternal oblivion. From Universal Knowledge, a Dictionary and Encyclopedia of Art, Science, History, Biography, law, literature, religions, nations, races, customs, and institutions. 
volume nine, uh, Edward Pace is the editor, and that is uh, page 540. So how do we wrap this all up? Well, from scripture, denominationalism is wrong. I would affirm that. Not because I say it, but because the Bible says so. It is an unscriptural concept to say for everyone to divide up into churches with each one teaching something different. Just think how illogical it is to say we're all Christians when we're all teaching something different. And that's why I and many others will profess undenominational Christianity. Let's unite on what the scriptures say. Let's live and teach the doctrine of Christ, not the doctrine of various uh, sectarian uh, groups. So that's my lesson for this evening. I thank you, Stevie, for having me on. Thank you to the listening audience. And uh, we will see you in the next, uh, next video if you're watching on YouTube. And I'll be with you the next time, I think, in March. We'll talk to you later. Thank you, Stevie. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. With all the talk, what is your goal? With all the talk, what is your goal? With all the talk, what is your goal? Now that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that heaven is my goal. No matter what they say, call me and I'll go. I'll tell you, I'm not saying Lord, I hear the streets are paved for pure and gold Breath of God flow gently through my soul Pearly gate shine sparkles on a rainbow beam Lord, I give my all to you
in need of lending for a building or expansion project? As your partner and advocate, Diversified Financial Network will take the time to understand your unique situation and develop a financing solution that meets your specific needs. It's an exciting time for your congregation, and what you need is a company with expertise in church financing early in the process. Call us today at 1-866-513-6665 or visit us at www.diversifiedfinancegroup.com. This is a program reminder. Stevie B's Media Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. The telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. On the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show, What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. And this show will air every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. The second Tuesday of the month, the show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be making their proclamation of the Gospel of Christ. And also during the show, we have the Community Corner segment for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our community. I also have two co-hosts on that broadcast. Luke Gilbert, he serves as the evangelist for the Overbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And Isa Mullins, he serves the Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. And the third Tuesday of the month, the show will air from, at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Dr. Etherica Lane, she's a board-certified obstetricianist and gynecologist, and she serves with the Gray Road Church of Christ in Cincinnati, Ohio, and she'll be hosting her show, Conversations with Dr. Lane. And on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, uh, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting the Kelly Fletcher Show. And on Thursday evening, each week from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. I have seven co-hosts on that show. Clay Phillips, Dr. Frank Washington, Steve Cordell, Robert Lee Johnson, Glenn McMillian, Courtney Brothers, and Brian Christian Coleman. 
And these gentlemen will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And each week I have two co-hosts on the air with me. And I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. That'll be posted to one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. And then on Friday night, I'll be hosting a live show, Stevie B, Acapella Gospel Music Blast. And this radio show is the 2022 recipient for the NACAMA, the National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And this show will air at 9 from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. On this show, I'm playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. We're also interviewing artists, producers, writers, and comedians as well. We also debut new music and featuring old music on that broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, we have my top 20 countdown show. And we also have on-demand episodes. And there are just a variety of musical platforms that you can listen to now, wherever you're getting your favorite podcast from. Just search for Stevie B Media Production on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube, just to name a few. And we also have recorded version shows. These shows, well, these were live shows that I did here on Blog Talk Radio, but I just recorded them over, took my voice out of those uh, live shows. And these shows can only be heard on iHeartRadio, Deezer, Amazon Music, and uh, yeah, iHeartRadio, Mu- I- Deezer, and Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B Recorded Version Shows. And if you'd like to become a sponsor, we'd like to thank all of our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco, from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Her telephone number is 954-687-4705. The three E's of Stevie B Media Production, it is the objective of this broadcast. We want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in a study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Stay tuned. Our shout-out question is up next. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give him a chance right now. 
Light Radio Show. Shout it out question. Good evening, Stevie, and thank you for having me on the show again, and welcome to all of our listeners on the Blog Talk Radio platform or whichever platform you uh, happen to be listening in on. If you want to get your Bibles out, we'll be looking at a couple of different passages uh, this evening to answer a listener submitted question and this is an anonymous question uh, submitted and it deals with what's known as the uh, Epicurean uh, paradox or the riddle of Epicurus. Epicurus was an ancient Greek philosopher uh, lived in about uh, 300 uh, BC or thereabouts about 341 to 270 uh, BC And uh, in Acts chapter 17, the Epicureans are one of the schools of philosophy that Paul is dealing with. And this uh, Epicurean uh, paradox has to do with uh, a good and benevolent God and the problem of evil and sin and suffering in the world. Now, we don't have a lot of Epicureus uh, works that have survived. And so this uh, dilemma gets uh, worded a little bit differently uh, every time uh, it gets quoted. But basically, it's this. Uh, Epicurus said that either God wants to abolish evil and cannot, or he can but does not want to. If he wants to but cannot, he is impotent. If he can but does not want to uh, eliminate evil, he is wicked or evil. If God can abolish evil, and God really wants to do it, why is there evil in the world? 
Now, this is a common question that comes up, and it comes up more and more as we see our world uh, descending into more and more chaos and assorted uh, moral evils that are becoming more and more prominent. But what uh, Epicurus uh, and his philosophers and various unbelievers in modern times are trying to say is, they, they give this argument, is that we Christians cannot logically accept uh, these premises. That we cannot accept that God is all-powerful, God is all-good, and nevertheless evil exists in the world. And if God is all-powerful, he should want to get rid of evil. And he must uh, be able to prevent it and rid the world of it. So we got to be ready to give an answer uh, to this. And we have to remember that 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, he said, To sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So when people question us about our Christian faith, we need to have a good, solid, logical answer to give them something besides, well, gee, I don't know, that's what my dad told me, or that's what my church believes, or that's what the preacher said. And there are some good logical reasons for what we believe, and there's some logical reasons why we have to deal with this issue of evil and, and sin in the world. Now, understand, Peter said to have an answer. Uh, nowhere does he say that people are going to accept your answer or they're going to like your answer. We just need to have one. Because we know that there is evil in the world. We know that in March of this year, for instance, when Audrey Hale uh, shot her way into the Covenant Presbyterian School there in Nashville, Tennessee, and killed three nine-year-old children and three adults, uh, that was a bad act. That was evil. That is uh, that is sin. And then uh, we've also got natural disasters in the world we have to contend with. That's part of the evil uh, uh, that, that goes on. Uh, hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes and people getting hurt, seriously. So there's no question evil and mayhem exist. Uh, anyone who would deny that, I would guess, is, I don't know, living in a cave or they're delusional or something. But despite this, we need to uh, understand why it exists. Now, remember, we would say God, we as Christians would say God is good. And he is all-powerful, so then why not do something about it? Uh, what's going on? Well, the question then it becomes, could, uh, uh, rather, is God really that good after all? God is not... Uh, so could it be that God really is not all that good after all? Could it be that God is not all-powerful as much as we'd like to think he is? Well, maybe we would have to think about what Rabbi Harold Kushner, or Kushner said. He was the author of a book called When Bad Things Happen to Good People. It was published in 1981. And the dedication of this book, which deals with the conundrum of why if the universe was created and is governed by a good uh, God who has a loving nature, why is all this uh, uh, evil and sickness and those things uh, in the world? It's dedicated to the memory of his son, Aaron, who died at uh, age of 14 in 1977. And his son, Aaron, had an extremely rare and incurable genetic disease. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's P-R-O-G-E-R-I-A. And what it does is it makes a person age prematurely. Uh, you see these every once in a while on news reports. You have, like in this case, a 13 or 14-year-old uh, individual, boy or girl, and they look and feel and sound like they're in their 80s or in their 90s. Uh, the body just ages prematurely. There's no known cure for it. 
And the book, uh, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, was on the New York Times bestseller list for many uh, months. And the answer that Kushner came up with is that the is that God does his best and is with people in their suffering, but he is not fully able to, pre- to uh, prevent it. Now, his beliefs uh, obviously seem to question the omnipotence of God, and they have been roundly criticized by uh, Orthodox Jews as well as evangelical Christians. So how do we answer this? Well, these are some tough questions. There is a meme that goes around on Facebook that you might see, and it's a quote attributed to Time magazine, and I don't know if Time actually had this quote, but the quote is, it's hard to be an atheist when you are looking at the Grand Canyon. Now, as Christians, we look at the Grand Canyon, we look at a beautiful sunset out over the ocean, or maybe a snow-capped mountain or something like that, and we think, yeah, how can you be an atheist? Somebody had to make uh, this scenery. But then the atheist is going to come back and say, well, I said, uh, the atheist is going to come back and say, it's hard to be a theist when you're taking a stroll down the hallway of a children's hospital. So it comes down to this. If God is so good, why is there so much suffering and evil uh, in in the world? Psalm 34, verse 6 says, The poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So we need to realize a couple of things. First of all, we do need to realize that God is all-powerful and God is perfectly good. Uh, The line of logic, as we've already uh, looked at, is that an all-powerful God could destroy evil. A good God would destroy evil. Evil is not destroyed. Therefore, uh, there cannot possibly be such a good and powerful God. The problem with this, which sounds logical on the surface, uh, until we look at the fact that the standard being used to measure the ability and the will of God is faulty. Because we are not objective in measuring such things, and just about everyone has an opinion about what's good and what's evil. And if you notice, when men dislike something the Bible says, they'll often say something like, well, the God I know would never do uh, X or Y. The God I know would never disapprove or punish someone for doing or believing or thinking X, Y, or Z. And so what ends up happening is they're describing their God who sounds just like them. In other words, we create a God in our own image to justify the things we want to do. And when someone starts off saying that the God I know would never, they usually are saying that in defense of some kind of sin, something the Bible clearly says is wrong. And so we humans are not objective in measuring those things. And just about everybody's got an opinion on right and wrong. And uh, in the midst of suffering and tragedy, we can sometimes forget that we are not being objective about these things. We get so focused on the horror of what's happening that we start to wonder, about whether or not God cares. But let's go back to our Psalm 34 and look at verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And this and many other verses tell of the goodness of God. And David is saying that the way of the Lord is the good way and that God will do you good. You just have to try it. Try it and see. Give him a chance. And it's only by personal experiences uh, does one discover the reality of God's goodness. And when we look at Isaiah chapter 40, we wonder about God being powerful. But in Isaiah 40, notice verse 25, he says, To whom then will you liken me, or to whom shall I be equal? 
uh, says the Holy One, lift up your eyes on high and see who has created these things, who brings out their host by number, who calls them uh, all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, no one uh, is missing. So it sounds to me like the creator of the universe is plenty powerful enough. But despite that, we also have to understand there are some things God cannot do as we're going into the study, and I want to bring some of those out. And, and if someone ever asks you, is there anything God can't do? Well, I've got a couple of things here that God just cannot do. Number one, God cannot lie. Numbers chapter 23, verse 19 tells us, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? And then in uh, uh, Titus chapter 1, when Paul's introducing his letter to uh, uh, Titus, he says uh, that God, that he is, uh, that Paul is a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect, and the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. And then in Hebrews chapter 6, beginning in verse 18, we know that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible, note that, impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. So, And in James chapter 1, verse 13, it tells us that God cannot be tempted, nor can he tempt people to sin. So he doesn't, he's not tempted uh, by evil. He's not tempted, does not tempt people to sin. He cannot lie. So in other words, God cannot do anything that is outside of his character. Now, we all know people uh, that we know or think we know, and every once in a while they'll say or do something, and we'll say, well, you know what? That's really out of character for him. I'm surprised he said that or surprised he did that. But you don't have to worry about that with God. See, because the reason God cannot lie is because he is truth. He cannot sin or tempt because he is pure. And so we need to recognize him what is the source of evil. Uh, one of the arguments brought out of the belief that God is all-powerful is that since he created everything, he must have created evil. Well. Let's have a look here. James chapter 1 tells us, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, verse 13, watch this. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Now, you have to understand, there's nothing wrong with wanting things. Nothing wrong with wanting a better life for your kids, or a, a new car, or a better car, or a better... Nothing wrong with that. The problem is when we become obsessed with it. And that's when we start to get tempted. I might be tempted because I want this brand new car. I might be tempted to steal it. Or I might be tempted to uh, earn the money uh, uh, dishonestly or something like that. If I make it an obsession where that's all I'm wanting. Now, here's where I need everybody to listen carefully. Uh, uh, if, you're, if you're listening and, and doodling on paper or something, stop and listen carefully to what I'm about to say. Because I don't want anyone going out and, and misquoting me and saying uh, that I said some things that I didn't say. But here, here's the bottom line. God did not create evil. 
Now, if you're taking any notes, uh, just take a minute to write that down. God did not create evil. And I just need, again, pay attention, listen carefully to what I'm about to say. God did not create evil. He created the possibility of evil. Got that? Did not create evil, but did create the possibility. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me explain it here. This is a quote from Peter Kreeft, who was a philosophy professor at Boston College, uh, wrote a lot of books on philosophy and religion, and he said this, It is not logically possible to have free will and have no possibility of moral evil. In other words, once God chose to create human beings with free will, it was up to them rather than God as to whether there was sin or not. It is not logically possible to have free will and have no possibility of moral evil. In other words, once God chose to create human beings with free will, it was up to them rather than God as to whether there was sin or not. God gave us all free will, which means that built into God's creation of human beings is the chance of evil and consequently the suffering that results. So why didn't God just create us to uh, make only good choices or wise choices or benevolent choices? Okay, let me ask you this. Where's the free will in that? Where is the free will if all you're allowed to make are good choices? This is a, a quote, and as far as I can tell, he actually said this, as far as uh, I researched this a couple of years ago, and, and he actually said this. Henry Ford, founder of the Ford Motor Company, uh, the quote is, any customer can have a car painted any color that he wants as long as it's black. Now, stop and think about that. Uh, Mr. Ford, I'd like to have a red car, please. Well, you can have any color you want as long as it's black. Uh, what if I want a green one? No, you can have it as any color you want as long as it's black. Where's the choice? Well, obviously, there is no choice. So if God had programmed us where all we could make were, were good choices, benevolent choices, we could only do the wise thing, the right thing, where's our choice? The answer is there is no choice. We would not have free will. Then we would be mind-numbed robots like people like to accuse Christians of being. But God created humans uh, capable of freely loving him and following his will without being forced. He does not want the mind-numbed robots. So creatures who are free to love God must also be free to hate or to ignore God. So the choice is that, yes, God is capable of destroying evil, but not without destroying human freedom. The source of evil is not the devil. The old, those of us who have been around long enough will remember Flip Wilson and his The Devil Made Me Do It routine. But it is not the devil. It is our own free will. We choose evil. Uh, Norman Geisler, who uh, uh, passed away, I think, in the last year or two, was a, a Christian uh, apologist, uh, uh, dealt in Christian evidences and that sort of thing. And he said that evil is a lot like rust on metal. The rust does not exist on its own. It's part of the metal that it contaminates. It is uh, evil, like rust, is a part of something. It's part of our human freedom to, uh, of choice. Evil contaminates our free will so that we choose evil over good. So the bottom line is the source of evil is not the devil. The source of evil is our free will, our choices. Remember, God is not tempted. And when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one of us is tempted when his own, uh, by his own desire when he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That's James chapter 1, verses 13 to 15, the uh, second time I read, read it earlier. So we go back to our main question. Why doesn't God destroy evil? Because to do so, he would have to destroy you and me. That's the bottom line. Because of our fallen nature and our own evil choices, God would have to wipe us all out. Well, hold on a minute there, preacher. I'm not that bad. I haven't done anything. I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed any felonies. Yeah, but you got a little problem. See, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And you notice there's no qualifications on that. Everybody has sinned. Maybe you have never committed a felony. You have never killed anyone. Uh, uh, you have never committed adultery. But have you ever lied? Uh, maybe a little white lie that uh, I told the boss, um, you know, I was on time for work when I was 20 minutes late. Well, okay, but you've fallen short of the glory of God. I had a professor in college who used to, uh, when he was going through college back in the 60s, so this will tell you how long ago this was, uh, he had a part-time job at one of those uh, uh, putt-putt miniature golf uh, places, and he closed uh, at night. And he, he told us once that uh, every night when he closed, he would take $3 out of the till and go down the road to a steakhouse and have a steak dinner every night. And that tells you how long ago it was. You could get a steak dinner for $3. Well, he has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's a, maybe a minor little thing to us, but that's still a sin. That is still going to condemn uh, somebody if they don't repent of it. So God will ultimately triumph over evil but he will not destroy it while we are still here, while we inhabit it. Which means then we need to really reach out to God who can do something about our conundrum. You know, why is there so much evil? Because it's one thing to believe that God is holding back from destroying evil because he doesn't want to destroy us. But why do we live in a world in which we can't even let our kids listen to the evening news because of all the horrible uh, things? Well, I have a very scholarly, deep philosophical answer to that, and I'll share it with you. And here's the answer. I don't know. I mean, that's it. That's the most scholarly answer I can come up with. I don't know. But while I may not be able to pinpoint uh, the reason for it, I can give you, you know, the exact reason. I can give you some, some thoughts on it. One of those thoughts, and remember, as I said in the beginning, not all these answers are going to be accepted by everybody. But that's okay. And you may even think of some things here that I haven't thought of. But Isaiah chapter 55, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So in other words, we don't understand everything that God's doing. And parents, do your kids understand every the reason behind everything uh, that you do? When you were a kid, did you understand the reason behind everything that your parents did? Well, the answer is, that's rhetorical, really. The answer is no. We didn't understand everything. And sometimes it came down to you would do something because dad would say, I'm dad, and that's why. And in much the same way, it's unrealistic for us to be able to understand all of God's reasons for allowing everything that he does. Because he's God, that's why. And we aren't. And so... When we, when we look at some, some ways to not cope with suffering, 
to start with here. Number one is don't look at instances of pain and suffering as some sort of a cosmic conspiracy against you. Uh, that's a basic premise sometimes of Hinduism and some of those uh, philosophies that, that have the caste system where uh, you come back to this life to pay for sins uh, that uh, you committed in a previous life. Another uh, unhealthy response is cynicism and bitterness towards God, uh, rejecting him, rejecting his sovereignty. Now, I can tell you from firsthand experience, it can be very easy to get cynical and get bitter towards God and be flat out mad at God. Uh, yeah, I, I, I've done that a time or two. One of the things about God, though, is you can talk to him and tell him what's on your mind, the good, the bad, the ugly. And you can pray to God, go into your room, close the door. It's just you and him and say whatever's on your mind. And you don't have to worry about being uh, uh, ostracized or anything like that. Uh, because God will listen. Now, as to what sort of an answer you get or what sort of relief, well, that's going to vary from person to person. The way God deals with you is not necessarily the way he's going to deal with me. So then how can we reach out to God in times of pain and suffering? Well, we are encouraged by God in the scriptures to pour out our hearts to him. And we can be sure that he hears, he understands. Remember, that's why Jesus came. Uh, he was tempted in all ways as we are, but yet was without sin. So he went through all the things that we went through. Psalm 130, or excuse me, Psalm 13, verse 5 says, I, uh, But I trust in your unfailing love. I will rejoice because you have rescued me. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. David knew that he could question God, but that God ultimately knows what's best. Because notice how he uh, finishes uh, this. I will sing to the Lord because he is good to me. And remember, look, think of the things that David went through. You know, and, and think about how much of that was bad choices that he made and sins that he made. He did not have to go wandering up on his roof that night when he looked down and saw Bathsheba bathing. In fact, he was supposed to be with his troops in battle. Uh, he did not have to commit adultery. He made a choice. So did she. Uh, he did not have to uh, send her husband to the front lines with what amounted to his death warrant in his hand. Uh, but yet David made a lot of bad choices. And so, uh, but yet he still turned around and said that God was being good to him. David knew that he could question God, but that God ultimately is going to know what's best. And God is not afraid of the tough questions. And uh, we can cry out to him just like David did in Psalm 10, 10 verse 1. Oh Lord, why, oh Lord, do you stand afar off? Why do you hide yourself from me in times of trouble? So he's crying out to God there. He, there are a lot of the Psalms where he cried out, uh, to God, but God, God handled it. God didn't strike him down because he asked a tough question or because he was upset about something. And then in Romans chapter eight and verse twenty-eight, focus on the, one of the great truths of Scripture that God is working for us. Now Romans eight twenty-eight is probably I don't know maybe number two or number three on my list of scriptures that get abused, misused, misquoted. Uh, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. This oftentimes, that's what the scripture says. Now, sometimes people uh, will quote this, misquote this. Uh, well, the Bible says uh, all things work out. No, it doesn't say that. Uh, the Bible says all things are good. No, it doesn't say that either. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love all things. The good, the bad, the ugly uh, happen to us. Another thing we have to keep in mind uh, in dealing with uh, this world is there's a lot of things we just flat cannot control. 
Now, uh, later today, I've got to go uh, pick up my, my daughter's going to a basketball camp. I've got to go pick her up. I can control my car, but I can't control all those other cars on the road. And if one of them crosses a line and hits me, you know, that could happen. Or any number of things could happen uh, that I can't control. I can't control that we just went through this pandemic. Uh, you know, how much control did we have over that? Uh, so we have to also understand that. Now, Hudson Taylor was a missionary who went to China uh, in the 1800s. And uh, he uh, spent uh, pretty much all of his adult life there. And he uh, adopted a lot of their customs and, and ways of doing things. And he was going through a period of intense pressure and difficulty. And he said this. He said, it does not matter how great the pressure is. What really matters is where the pressure lies, whether it comes between you and God or whether it presses you nearer to his heart. See, another way to reach God, uh, reach out to God, rather, is in coping with tragedy and suffering is to do something to alleviate suffering when it's in our power to do so. If you, you know someone who is suffering and needs help, and we can reach out and help them, that's another way to do it. Keep in mind, God uses humans to do his work. When a, a hurricane, I've been involved in a couple of disaster relief efforts, and uh, when a hurricane or a tornado or something hits, uh, that gives you an opportunity to be able to do some good to help people alleviate uh, their suffering. Because God, remember, uses people to do his work here on earth. Uh, even Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, he was told to send for Simon Peter, who would then come and tell him uh, words by which he and his family could be saved. The angel didn't, who appeared to Cornelius didn't just tell him, well, here's what you need to do. Uh, other than to send for Peter, but he didn't present the gospel to him. It still took a human to do it. The job of, of the church, us as Christians, our job is to impact our society with the gospel of Jesus and make, make uh, disciples of all nations around us, getting tougher to do. Uh, and it doesn't help us when we, uh, well, first of all, when we have to deal with the problem of evil in the world, but we've also got a lot of Christians out there that are, are let me rephrase that, we have a lot of people claiming to be Christians out there that are making it difficult because of, uh, of their uh, doctrinal beliefs, the prosperity gospel and the so-called progressive Christians and that kind of thing. So this means, among other things, that we are uh, with people who need Jesus. Now, we like to think of mission fields as being in places like South America, Africa, India, but just walk out your front door. There's a mission field right there. You, you've got in your community, is everybody in your community a Christian? If not, then you've got a mission field right there. You've got people right there that need Jesus. And another response, and sometimes it's the only response we can make to God when we're dealing with tragedy, is to simply wait and trust. And that is not easy. A lot of us, myself included, can be very impatient and uh but we just have to wait on god we just have to wait on his timing uh and you know god many times we think he's being silent but remember we can't see what's going on we can't see the whole picture so the problem of evil is a problem and it's not one to be taken lightly but it doesn't have to leave us in defeat and it doesn't have to leave us in bitterness have a reason study some of these scriptures and some of these things that we've talked about this evening and have a reason to be able to give to those who are asking the question. Now, ultimately, we're all going to have to stand before God to give an account for the things we've done here, and so we all have to be prepared. Now, that's one of the things I would encourage everybody to do, 
is not get so hung up on what's going on in the world and our neighbors. Have, but think about yourself for just a minute. Let's talk about you for just a minute. Are you prepared to meet the Lord? And if you're not, or if or if you're not sure, then contact the, us here uh, at the uh, at the program at the Gospel Light Program and let us help you. Uh, find someone in your area. We'll help you find someone in your area who can uh, help you to be prepared and be ready. That's all I have for this evening. Thank you for having me on the show, Stevie. Thank you uh, all for joining us. I'll see you next time I'm on the show. Hope everybody has a good evening and a good rest of the week. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in the study of God's Word. I want to thank my co-host, Steve Cotter. He carried the day, ladies and gentlemen. My uh, co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, he was not able to uh, be on the show this evening. He's in Grenada, uh, South America, and we thought he'd be able to broadcast from that area, but unfortunately, he was not able to do so. But Steve stepped in at the last minute, and we certainly appreciate him, and he also answered our shout-out question. He also did a great job on that as well. Certainly appreciate the brothers that I'm working with here on this broadcast. I have a great team uh, that I put together here on the Stevie B's Media Production. I certainly appreciate them. I do not take any of this for granted. It is my prayer that the lesson that was given on this broadcast today have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been strengthened because not only tune in this radio broadcast, 
but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continued blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real, real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light radio show. And on behalf of all of my co-hosts here, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. I'm your host, Steve R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.